Okay. So before I do the scripture, um, I just want to tell you guys what happened on Wednesday. So um, one of the youth pulled me aside, and she goes, hey, Miss Laura, do you know that this month is Pastor Appreciation Month? So did you guys know? Anybody know? So um, I just want to take this time at the mic to, I want Amy. Amy, stand up. Stuart, come out here and stand up. Guillermo, keep standing. Angie, keep standing. Patty's in the house, stand. If Leslie's in the house, stand. Um, guys, they don't, I mean, they're just amazing. Like, the stuff that they do behind the scenes, I just want to take a minute to appreciate them. Like, I really love the staff, and they're just amazing. And I know I tell them, like, a lot, but still, I just want to recognize them again. And I just thought it was really special that one of our youth pulled me aside, like, and said, hey, I mean, that's just awesome. So, thank you. Thank you, guys. And if you want to mention to them this week or this month, send them a little note, send them a little card, send them some extra text this week, I'm sure they would appreciate it. Okay. Sorry, my voice this week. Um, You're invited to get out your Bible or your Bible app and go to today's reading, which is from the book of Jonah, chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. And then the Bibles are available in the backs of your chairs. And also, if you, need, if you need one, just take it, okay? So again, we're in Jonah chapter 4, um, verses 4 through 7. It'll also be on the screen if you don't have it. Are we good? Did I give you enough time? Okay. All right. And the Lord said, is it right for you to be angry? Then Jonah went out of the city and sat down east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade, waiting to see what would become of the city. The Lord God appointed a bush and made it come up over Jonah to give shade over his head, to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was very happy about the bush. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the bush so that it withered. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. These definitely are silly. Some of them. I so appreciate the laughter. It's okay. Shannon, you can just bring it up here. You can bring it up. I so appreciate the laughter in this third week of the series because when we first started talking about Bible stories that make us laugh, you did not laugh at all. (laughs) And now you're laughing when we read the scripture, which is great. Thank you, Shannon. Excellent. Okay. We'll see if I can work that in. Let's take a deep breath. Let us pray together once more. Gracious and loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts together be pleasing in your sight this morning, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So when I was in my mid-twenties, I decided to leave my job and my apartment, my community in Texas, and move to New Jersey to attend seminary. It just so happened that a friend of mine from college was looking for a job and was a good fit for the position that I had in a small fundraising firm, and she was also looking for a place to live. 
So she rented my adorable little duplex with the hardwood floors and the built-in bookcases and the original cast iron claw-footed bathtub. My job, my place. This transition was my decision prompted by God, of course. It was something that I had put into motion, but she was taking over my life. And I wondered if I would even be missed. To my astonishment, I felt angry. I felt angry because of the good fortune that was being extended to my friend. In this passage today, the prophet Jonah is struggling, but this is long after he was swallowed by the big fish. Now, that's what he's known for, right? Running from God, ending up in the belly of this monstrous sea creature until he repents and does the right thing. But it turns out that doing the right thing doesn't make Jonah feel any better. It's actually a pretty funny story, which makes it perfect for this five-week worship series that we are calling Bible stories that make us LOL or laugh out loud. Remember, it's okay for us to laugh at some of the Bible stories that we read because they're funny and because Proverbs tells us that a happy heart is good medicine and because in our tradition and others, the Sunday after Easter is known as Holy Humor Sunday. Because the idea of resurrection after death is laughable. It defies human logic. Right? It defies the laws of nature, but we hold it to be central to our faith. The Bible is full of stories like this. And so far in this series, we've talked about a kid who wouldn't sleep. And about Jesus becoming so hangry that he curses a fig tree because it's not bearing fruit. That brings us to the story of Jonah and the big fish, or as I like to call it, the whiny prophet. You may remember this story from Sunday school as a tale about what can happen when we don't listen to God. But it's much more than that. The prophet Jonah is mentioned in 2 Kings chapter 14, which places his life during the reign of King Jeroboam II, who ruled from 786 to 746 before the Common Era. Jeroboam was not a good king. He allowed for the oppression of the poor and for the rise of cultic activity in his kingdom. That's why the people were struggling. Many of them were making destructive choices that were permissible in this ethically and morally bankrupt culture that his lack of leadership was providing. These details allow us to locate Jonah in this particular moment in time, confirming that he was indeed a historical figure. The version of the story that bears his name, however, it gives us a much more satirical portrayal the whole tale is written as satire, meaning that these four chapters of Jonah present this story with humor and irony and exaggeration to explore the ridiculous nature of humanity's response to God at times. It's a familiar story. In the first chapter of Jonah, we are told that God sends the prophet on a 550-mile journey from Joppa to Nineveh, a city on the brink of self-destruction, to call the people back to God. God says, go, and Jonah says, no, and moves in the opposite direction 
2,500 miles in the opposite direction. And this is the first great exaggeration, going four times the distance and still not being able to escape God's will. So here Jonah is on a boat in the Mediterranean Sea running from God when a storm threatens to capsize the ship, presumably killing everyone on board. The sailors decide that Jonah is the reason that they are suffering this storm, so they go to him and they ask him, what are we supposed to do with you? He says, throw me overboard. The storm will pass you by. So that's what they do. And we can read what happens in Jonah chapter 1. So hopefully you still have your Bibles open. Jonah is a very short book. So if you are in chapter 4, it's not going to take you long to find chapter 1. You'll find Jonah in the Old Testament toward the end, right before Micah, which is the last book. We find it at the end because it's part of the minor prophets. We call them the minor prophets because of the length of the book. It doesn't mean their message is any less important. It's just a very short book. And we are in chapter 1, and I'd like you to look at verse 17. So Jonah is thrown overboard, but the Lord provided a large fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So here's the second exaggeration. Many of you probably grew up hearing that Jonah was swallowed by a whale. But that is not what the text says. Remember, the book of Jonah is written as a satire. It is prone to exaggeration. So when we envision a whale, which we know are quite large because many of us have seen them, we're letting our imaginations off the hook. It was a fish, a big fish, an oversized Fish, perhaps the fish as the size of a whale, but a fish just the same. And there Jonah stayed in the belly of that big fish for three days, praying to God until he was spat onto dry land. It was a resurrection of sorts, meant, of course, to foreshadow the death and resurrection of Jesus in three days, centuries later. It is there that God reissues Jonah's assignment. Go to Nineveh to proclaim the message that I tell you. So this time, Jonah goes and does what he is told. He delivers the standard prophet's spiel. Really, all the prophets were given the same message. Prophets were not fortune tellers. They weren't future tellers. They were given this message essentially to say, this is what is going to happen if you don't change your ways. These are the disastrous results that will befall you as a consequence of your current choices. This is the trajectory of your bad behavior. Beloved, it is remarkable that God needed to send so many prophets over the years because the reason that God sent the prophets never really changed. Over and over again, God is angry with the people for two main reasons. Do you know what they are? Worshiping other gods, someone or something other than God. Remember, King Jeroboam actually encouraged such behavior with occultic centers. And number two, not caring for people in need. 
the marginalized, the poor, the children, the widows, the sick. Again, this was permissible in the reign of Jeroboam. And the truth is, these two transgressions, they often go hand in hand because when we don't prioritize God, it becomes very easy to mistreat others. So Jonah delivers the message in Nineveh, and the people listen, and their relationship with God is restored. This is success, right? A job well done. We would expect Jonah to be celebrating, to be happy. He did his job, and he did it effectively. Five gold stars, rave reviews. But Jonah is actually angry. Angry at God, not just for saving the people, because Jonah believed that God would do that all along. Jonah is really angry at being put in the middle. That's where we enter the story today in chapter 4, at the beginning of Jonah's pity party. He's basically saying to God, if this was going to be the outcome all along, why did you put me through the ringer? I already knew that you were gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, relenting in punishment. So God chooses to stay present with Jonah in this moment. And he responds, God responds with, is it right for you to be angry? And then he sends this bush to grow above Jonah to provide shade where he was sitting, stewing in his own juices. This is a third exaggeration, the growth, the instantaneous growth of a bush in exactly the spot where Jonah sat. And Jonah was happy with this act of God. It seems that Jonah is fine with God's good nature when it benefits him. And that's when God teaches Jonah a lesson, sending a worm to rapidly destroy the bush, another exaggeration, exposing Jonah once again to the harsh elements, including this wind from the east that was conjured up just for the prophet's benefit. And with that, Jonah has had enough. It's better for me to die than to live, he says in verse 8. But God is not done speaking. Again, God asks, is it right for you to be angry you know what? Let's just read it. Go back to chapter 4. I know Laura read it, but let's read it again, because I bet you didn't memorize it. That was a joke. Okay, verses 9 through 11 in Jonah chapter 4. Again, as I've said, God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the bush? And Jonah said, yes, angry enough to die. And then God said, you are concerned about the bush for which you did not labor and which you did not grow. It came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not be concerned about Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who don't know their right hand from their left? And also many animals and dinosaurs. This is a sort of, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth conversation, like the one that God had with Job in the midst of his own suffering. The point here, though, is much more than God is God and Jonah is not. God is not simply saying, this is the way it is. I have the power, and you're going to have to deal with it. No. Beloved, God is saying to Jonah, yes, I have been overly gracious and merciful to the people of Nineveh but no more so than I have been with you. 
I have been just as generous with you. And it's true. God did not spite, God did not smite, God did not smite Jonah when he ran the other way, did he? And Jonah didn't die in the storm or in the belly of the big fish. And Jonah's track record as a prophet is actually much better than those whose messages fell on deaf ears. This is grace and mercy. We've been talking about grace and mercy essentially all morning long, and I've shared with you the difference between these two terms before, but just to make sure we are all on the same page, we're going to try this. Tammy has agreed to help me with this. I don't like to put people on the spot, so I asked ahead of time. And Tammy is gracious. Okay, Tammy, we're going to play a game. Okay, I have here a ring pop and a cup of water. Will you tell him there's actually water in here? Okay, okay. So I'm going to think of a number between 1 and 10. You will guess the number. If you are correct, exactly correct, you will get this ring pop, which will make you very popular with your granddaughters. If you don't get it right, I'm going to pour this water on your head. Is that okay? Okay. What is my number? Oh, I'm sorry. It was seven. It was seven. So what does that mean? Yeah, I said I was going to pour water over her head, but I'm not going to do that. Do you know what that's called? No. It's mercy. Yes. I'm not going to give you the consequence that you deserve for failing to guess my number. And what's more, I am going to give you the prize that you did not earn, and that is grace. That's right. Give Tammy a round of applause. Thank you. So once more, grace is getting something wonderful that you did not deserve and cannot earn. Mercy is not getting the punishment that you do deserve. And they go hand in hand, and we see both in the story of Jonah. And the truth is, Jonah appreciated God's grace and mercy when they are extended to him, but he was annoyed by God's generosity toward others to the point that he pouts in God's face in a really melodramatic way. Jonah was mad because God spared the people, even though they deserved much worse. But before we condemn Jonah's hypocrisy, we are wise to acknowledge our own. In the case of me and my friend all of those years ago, I actually wasn't angry. Angry is one of those emotions that masks the other emotions. I was anxious. I was anxious about this new life that I was preparing to start, and I was beginning to wonder if I should have just stayed with the old one when it seemed to be just fine for my friend who was stepping right into it. And that's when I realized that God's grace and mercy, they never run out. And that is the exaggeration that is 100% realistic. There's no limit to God's grace and God's mercy. Now, we don't know if Jonah ever got that point because God has the last word in Jonah. We've already read it. God says, is it right for you to be angry? And should I not be concerned about Nineveh? Should I not be concerned? The bottom line, beloved, is that God is concerned 
God is concerned about God's creation, which fills God with mercy and grace to extend toward all living things. And mercy and grace are not limited. More mercy and grace for me doesn't mean less for you, because in the eyes of God, no one needs more or less. We all just need God's grace and mercy. And the more we grow in what has been given to us, the more likely we are to share that with others. And that should all, that should make us all a little less whiny. Amen? Amen. What was the word of the day? Dinosaur, that's right. It did it. I get to keep my dollar, Shannon. As we move into a time of prayer, Denise, would you mind handing me that book of worship here? I recognize that we're in a more lighthearted series because I felt that's what we needed at this time. But things in the world are pretty serious. And I don't want to gloss over that. You may not know, but in the United Methodist Church, we have these things called social principles. And our social principle regarding war says that war is incompatible with the teachings of Christ. And we, we don't advocate the use of war in national policy. And you don't have to agree with that. That's what the United Methodist Church says, and I want you to be aware of that. But I think regardless of whether you agree with that or not, we can lament the loss of life. We can lament the loss of human life as the death tolls rise in Gaza and as the war in Ukraine continues for like 600 days. So we're going to offer a prayer right from our book of worship. And it literally is called a prayer for peace. Children, you're welcome to take the wooden crosses out of your worship bags and hold on to those as we pray. Gracious and loving God, we ask you to remember, O Prince of Peace, the peoples of the world divided into many nations and tongues. Deliver us from every evil that obstructs your saving purpose and fulfill your promises of old to establish your kingdom of peace. From the curse of war and all that creates it, deliver us. Deliver us from believing and speaking lies against other nations, from narrow loyalties and selfish isolation, from fear and distrust of other nations, from all false pride, vainglory, and self-conceit. Deliver us from the lust of the mighty for riches that drives peaceful people to slaughter, from putting our trust in the weapons of war and from want of faith in the power of justice and goodwill. Deliver us from every thought, word, and deed that divides the human family and separates us from the perfect realization of your love. In the name of Jesus, we pray by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. <laughs>